1: Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns. So that happened is sponsored by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a hundred day period. And right now, our listeners can get fifty dollars toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com/happened. That's casper.com/happened promo code happened.
0: This podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hey, everyone. At the time of this recording, news about the attack on the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina was still unfolding and still primarily filled with too much speculation to be discussed in a manner that we deem to be responsible and informative. Obviously, we are following that story, but for the moment, all we have to offer today are our prayers and best wishes to all the good people of the Low Country. The Huffington Post will continue to, s- to cover the story as it develops.
2: You know what our our podcast doesn't have that radio shows have is that car crash sound effects thing. Like if you go on SiriusXM it's like oh,
1: politics <laughs> <laughs> ah,
2: with Jason Lincoln.
1: Thanks for those car crash noises. So that happened this week we got a presidential candidate to come on our show. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders joins us to discuss his campaign's family values agenda and how he would get it enacted should he become president. Meanwhile, in Washington, we have two ongoing dramatic waiting games unfolding. The first is the joint effort between the White House and House Republicans to bring the TPP trade deal back from the dead. The second is a Supreme Court case that could imperil the subsidies of many Ob- Obamacare enrollees. Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison is here to give us the skinny on both. Finally, will ground troops be deployed to fight ISIS in Iraq? Should ground troops be deployed to fight ISIS in Iraq? Do we have any kind of plan to fight ISIS in Iraq? Will we figure any of this out in the brief discussion on a podcast? Stay tuned and find out. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Jessica Scholberg, And here's what happened first. Joining us now is uh, independent senator from Vermont and presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Senator Sanders, thanks for being with us today.
3: My pleasure.
2: So, Senator Sanders, uh, you are talking about family values, and you and you said you want to appropriate this term from Republicans who've used it to describe social issues. You want to use the term to promote legislation for paid parental leave, paid sick leave, and paid vacation. Uh, But you're pointing to things like increased employee retention, productivity, consumer spending. Are those things
3: family values? Absolutely. Look, what the Republicans talk about when they speak of family values is to deny a woman the right to control her own body, to deny a woman the right to get contraceptives, opposition to gay rights and gay marriage. I don't think those are family values. In fact, I think those ideas are all diametrically opposite what family values should be so what we are saying is all right look at the needs of the american family today and what kind of legislation do we need to help the american family do better uh, than it is doing right now Uh, and some very obvious things come to mind first of all we should ask ourselves why in terms of uh, family and medical leave in terms of sick time in terms of vacation time We are the only major industrialized nation on Earth, the only one, that doesn't guarantee those rights to our working people. And in my view, we should join uh, the rest of the industrialized world in guaranteeing those rights. Let me give you one just very simple uh, example of what I mean. Uh, In America today, tragically, I think, uh, a working-class woman uh, will have a baby, would like to stay home with her baby, to get to know that baby, to bond with that baby, Right. have the father there as well. And that woman does not have that opportunity in America because if she doesn't have the income, she's forced to go back to work. So give you give birth, and a week later, you're back on the job. Does that sound like a family value? There are countries around the world which guarantee women and, and fathers a months off of uh, full or partial pay in order to create the kind of family uh, that people will feel good about, do you find? Uh, so, sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: Oh no, no. Uh, do you find though? I mean, we we obviously obviously there's been uh, opposition from the Republican Party, but do you find that this issue resonates anywhere in Washington? I feel sometimes we talk about the way people actually live uh, uh, It fails to sort of penetrate this bubble around uh, exactly. uh, around the Beltway.
3: You're exactly right. Look,
1: how do we how do we, well, how do we break that down? The,
3: What I have learned long ago is if I'm outvoted 99 to 1 on an issue, or I'm the only person in the room saying something, there was a time I thought, gee, I must be a little bit crazy. (laughs) How come These are my views, everyone else is crazy. But the answer is that you're exactly right. There is a bubble. And obviously, lately, I've been running around the country talking to many, many thousands of people. And I will tell you that what the American people in New Hampshire, in Iowa, in California, in, in Nevada... All over this country, their views of what we need to see happen in this country are very, very different than from the views of not only members of Congress, but the media pundits as well. So yes, when you say to people, a family value is that a mother has the right to spend time home with her newborn baby, you know, for most people, this is kind of a non-brainer. When you say to people, you know, I don't feel comfortable going into a restaurant where the guy who's preparing my food may be sick and have germs and is coughing in my food, you know, most people say, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that millions of workers in this country have no paid uh, sick leave. And the last point, which gets very little attention, and, uh, you know, we've introduced legislation to address it, is most Americans don't understand that as a result of the collapse of the American middle class and the fact that men and women are working longer hours for lower wages, In order to cobble together an income, people are working incredibly long hours. Incredibly long hours. In fact, today, over 85% of men in this country are working, working men, are working more than 40 hours a week. And over 65% of women in this country who are working are working longer than 40 hours a week. So you're seeing the absurdity. Of a hundred years ago, workers took to the streets. You may have seen those pictures in in high school textbooks. Workers took to the streets. You know what their demand was? What was their demand?
2: Shorter hours. People
3: used to want shorter. That's right. A hundred years ago, they were fighting for the forty-hour work week. And a hundred years have come and gone. We've seen an explosion in technology. We've seen an explosion of productivity. We have the great global economy. And what do you have? The vast majority of the people are working longer hours for low wages. So what our legislation says, and we think this is absolutely a family value, you know, that a mom and a dad should have the right to at least have a couple of weeks off of paid vacation uh, so they can spend quality time with their kids. What, mean, what about just uh,
2: what about just working less? In the argument that uh, there could be an economic benefit to shorter hours, that's something the labor movement a hundred years ago used to be all right. about. Do you see that coming back, or, or is well, that a-
3: if if we could create the reason that people are working these incredibly long hours, and honest to God, in my state, it is not uncommon for people to be working two or three, or sometimes four jobs, to cobble together the income and, and health care benefits. Uh, if people were paid decent wages, they would not have to work uh, those hours. I, I remember uh, talking to kids in Detroit, uh, African American young people who were working three jobs at seven and a quarter an hour at fast food places. Well, you know, if you were making fifteen, twenty dollars an hour, you would not have to do that.
1: Right. Uh, I read. A, I read that the average person who has a forty-hour-a-week job is actually working. Forty-seven hours right now. They're they're just spending seven hours working essentially for free. The um, office of management, office of management and budget is reviewing a new rule that's uh, been worked up uh, by the White House and the Department of Labor to redefine uh, overtime pay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I don't obviously I don't know what the level they've set is. Uh, because the rule has not come out yet. But could such a step in that direction, could that have a big impact?
3: Well, you're talking about something that very few people know about or discuss. It is huge. And some of us, in fact, I uh, offered a letter that we sent to the president with a number of signatures, which dealt with just with that issue. And a couple of months ago, I talked to the president about that. Here's the story. The story right now is that the Fair Labor Standards Act has not been updated for decades. What that means is that if you are a quote-unquote supervisor at McDonald's, you're making $25,000 a year, $28,000 a year, and you are supervising some other people flipping hamburgers, and you're working 50 or 60 hours a week, you do not get overtime. So what we have asked the president to do is to raise the threshold, which is now $23,500, up to somewhere in the mid-50s. That means everybody making under that, would get, in fact, time and a half when they work more than 40 hours a week. Very important step forward.
2: Uh, You sign on to Kirsten Gillibrand's paid family leave bill. It's part of your family values agenda. But Republicans have seemingly brushed this off for a couple of years or or longer. Uh, Are you you hoping a presidential campaign could bring more visibility to this issue? Absolutely.
3: Look, Republicans brush off everything. The Republican agenda is a fringe agenda which represents... you know, maybe 10, 15 percent of the people. Their agenda is tax breaks, huge tax breaks for billionaires, cuts to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, federal aid to education, and, and massive cutbacks in the Environmental Protection Agency. This is the billionaires' agenda, it's the Koch brothers' agenda, but it is not the agenda of the American people. The agenda of the American people is precisely the issues that I and other progressives are talking about, including uh, a progressive family values Uh, agenda.
2: Senator Sanders, you argued in May that we don't necessarily need a choice of 23 underarm spray deodorants or 18 different pairs of sneakers when (laughs) children are hungry in this country. And a lot of commentators, you know, the the wonks were saying, Senator Sanders wants the government to allocate the economy's resources. Uh, I wondered if you wanted to revisit that idea.
3: Uh, It's just, you have resources now, and people want to get a choice of 18 underarm spray deodorants. I think
2: it's more than that.
3: More I, than that. That's fine. But, you know, I think here's the problem that you have is in a society. I just talked to the guy who's, you know, very high up in, in health care in the state of Vermont today. We have a huge need for medical doctors. We have a huge need in this country for nurses, for dentists. We need well-trained police officers. We have to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure and invest trillions into doing that. We have to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel into energy efficiency and sustainable energy, all of which will create jobs. We need to totally transform our child care system. We need to make college education in public colleges and universities free. And all of that is going to require a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of resources. So what, you know, essentially what I'm saying is I would like to see us prioritize our needs. People can buy all the underarms, spray deodorants, and all the sneakers that they want. But I would hope that we prioritize our needs as a people and address the issue of poverty in America, health care for all in America, transforming our energy system in America, and creating the millions of jobs, decent-paying jobs that we need.
1: All right, I'm going to ask the question that'll have you thinking, ah, that guy, that guy. But I just wanted to ask. um, We've, we've, uh, let's flash forward. You're President Bernie Sanders. In all likelihood, you're matched up with at least a House of Representatives that's got a majority of people who economically all they want to do is pass uh, some version of the Paul Ryan budget. Um, How do you? Uh, enact this agenda, with and, and forgive. Of course, political science. The possibilities exist that uh, a, 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 an electorate that would put you in power would also perhaps transform the House of Representatives. But for the sake of argument, how would you? How would you enact this agenda? I will tell you how. Okay, I will tell you how. Good awesome, very, awesome. Going to make news very, today. Very,
3: very fair question. Uh,
1: I thought so. That's why I asked. <laughs> That's
3: a good question. And what I would do is something very different than President, what President Obama has done. What President Obama did in 2008 is run one of the best, most brilliant campaigns in American history. Brilliant campaign. He motivated millions of people all across the, um, you know, all, all across our demographics. Got people involved and won a tremendous victory. The problem that he, the mistake that he made, was literally the day after the election with millions of people anxiously wanting to be involved in the political process. What he said in so many words was, well, thank you so much for electing me, but I'll go from here. I'll take it on my own, and I'm going to sit down with John Boehner and Mitch McConnell. We're going to negotiate some fair compromises. Change. Okay. Now, what I think is that the way you bring about real change is you keep those people actively involved in the political process. In fact, what I have said in speech after speech, no president... Now, Bernie Sanders or anybody else is going to be able to make the changes that we need without an activated grassroots movement. So what happens right now, the Republicans get away with murder because nobody knows what they do. Nobody knows. Nobody knows that they want to give hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks to the top two-tenths of one percent. Very few people know that they want to cut Social Security, make massive cuts in Medicare and in education. And when you have an activated, politically conscious uh, uh, population, they will not be able to get away with those ideas because those are fringe ideas that the American people don't want. And if they choose to try to push them, they will not get reelected. Senator, that's how that's how you deal with that issue. Okay. All right, maybe one more question, guys.
2: Uh, Senate Democrat, there's word that we're going to see a standalone trade fast track legislation you know, the new strategy for people who want this to happen, it's cut off from the trade adjustment assistance. Uh, Is that going to make it through the Senate?
3: I doubt it very, very much, and I certainly will do everything that I can to prevent that from happening.
2: Is is the strategy of bifurcating these things in the House potentially going to backfire? Like, could this be the end of TAA?
3: Well, what, what they are trying to do is figure out a way that they can get 60 votes in the Senate and get a majority in the House. That's what they're trying to do. But I think that Democrats who voted for uh, Fast Track uh, will not vote for Fast Track uh, if there is no TAA attached to it. I think what is happening now, you know, the media is making the point that, gee, isn't it terrible that Democrats in Congress are splitting from their president, how terrible it is. I look at it a little bit differently. I think, isn't it a good thing finally, that the Democrats in the House and many of us in the Senate are standing with the unions, the environmental groups, and I think the vast majority of the American people who understand that our current trade policies have been a disaster. They've worked for the CEOs of large corporations, but have led to the loss of millions of decent-paying jobs.
1: All right. Thanks very much for joining us, Senator Sanders. I hope you'll come back.
3: Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
1: Coming up next, stay tuned for a conversation with Minnesota Congressman Keith Ellison. But first, we have to make good on our promise to show you a great card trick from Congressman Mark Pocan. When we come back, our regular contributors Zach Carter and Arthur Delaney are going to have that for you. So That Happened is sponsored by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing those savings right on to you. Casper mattresses are obsessively engineered, sold at a shockingly fair price, with just the right sink, just the right bounce, thanks to two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, that come together for better nights and brighter days. Casper has a risk-free trial and return policy. You can try sleeping on a Casper mattress for 100 days. and There's free delivery and painless returns. Casper mattresses are also made in America. We've mentioned the shockingly low prices and get ready to be shocked. Casper mattresses are $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. You compare that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price. And you So That happened listeners, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash happened and using the promo code happened. That's H-A-P-P-E-N-E-D.
0: I mean, I, I just, I'm really curious. Like what, so what did Mark Pocan's people say? When uh, when you told them they
2: email I emailed like could we have Poken do a card trick on our podcast and they were immediately like yes and then he emailed me back like wait how does that work on a podcast and I said that's the magic and he said okay <laughs> <laughs> I like oh, how you man. lay it
1: out like that <laughs> it's just gonna work. <laughs>
2: gonna work because we insist it's gonna work well it it does work (laughs) and they just were like yeah okay fine that's you know it just shows you how cool podcasts are lately did he he give you the secrets did he show you how he did the trick hell no good magician never does magician would do that why is it
0: that magicians don't reveal their tricks like 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 this is like dog walkers reveal their tricks like everybody reveals their tricks Except musicians. Do dog walkers have tricks? Sure, it's how you keep dogs from barking at other dogs. It's my dog
2: barks a lot. It's a real issue. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to like feed her treats and stuff. That's my trick. Yeah, <laughs> trick is really not the right word for what you're describing. <laughs>
1: um, I like the fact that I like the fact that. Mark Pocan. This is this speaks well of him. Okay, we've identified Mark Pocan as like one person in Congress who you could be like, hey, we had this weird idea. You want to run with it? He's like, sure, let's do this.
2: Well, listen, he <laughs> awesome. already... No, he he does... It's a, something he's done for, for much of his life and something that he promotes uh, via YouTube. He, he uh, does Magic Mondays where he does tricks uh, with constituents or to explain politics, sometimes just for fun. So... It wasn't out of the blue I threw a dart at a congressional directory and demanded a card trick (laughs) from some member of Congress. But we should start
1: doing that. We should start doing that. Come come do a trick. (laughs) Orrin Hatch, if you're
2: out there listening. (laughs) You know you're, what? You know what? Orrin on Hatch, the hook. Orrin Hatch can sing, man. So we
0: should we should do that. We you know we, we're, we're starting to do some interviews here for the podcast now. I mean, we should we should start just doing it by by Dart at the directory. You know, I don't like
2: right. how we're talking about what we're going to do on the podcast. <laughs> okay, so we gotta be buying a <laughs>
1: curtain. Our producer is asking us not to plan future podcasts on the
2: podcast. All right, so let's take a listen. Here we are uh, with Mark Pocan in his office in the uh, Cannon House office building. And congressman has generously agreed to do a magic trick for us. This is something that he's done for a long time and continues to do on uh, Mondays, Magic Mondays.
4: Yep, every uh, every Monday is a Magic Monday. We put it on Facebook and YouTube and uh, we try to explain Washington usually with a magic trick. But usually it's about the magic trick.
2: Okay, so, you know, the, the table here, the table's yours. Okay. I mean, it's literally your table, but yeah, figuratively, <laughs> like, please show us.
4: I'll tell you, I've got four cards here, and I want you to imagine that I've got four queens here, all right? Okay. Can you see the four queens in your head? Yes. All right, I'm going to pull out two of the queens, all right? Um, imagine, am I pulling out the red queens or the black queens? Okay, I'm imagining. Just tell me which one. It's the red queens. Red queens, okay. Yeah. One of them, the heart or the diamond, which one do you want me to turn upside down and put in the packet? The queen of hearts. The queen of hearts. All yeah. right, let's so get rid of the diamond, put this upside down in there. And sure enough, you imagined exactly what I did. Because if you look, there's only one queen and one queen only overturned. The queen of hearts, but there's more than that. It's not just that that's the only card overturned. It's also the only card with the red back. Oh. But even more so, I, I so knew you were going to do that that I didn't even bother to bring any other cards. They're all blank. So... That's just a quick, easy one that on the radio is terrific to watch. <laughs>
2: that was amazing.
4: <laughs> thank you. Uh,
2: all right. Uh, thank you so much for, sure. for humoring us with that magic trick. Hey, I mean, no. I, that, I, I've seen some magic tricks before, and I'm impressed by them.
4: And it was no different this time. That was really, <laughs> well, really if you, cool. If you can't pass a lot of legislation, you got to do something well. So yeah. I try to you know keep this on the side.
1: Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at Happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us.
4: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
5: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all.
1: what you think of the show what we're messing up and who you'd like to hear more from or more about okay back to the program congressman ellison welcome
6: well i'm uh pleased to be on with you guys
1: we're glad to have you man welcome to so that happened our podcast uh so, let's get into it. I wanted to ask, um, last night, you got, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus sent a letter to President Obama. Sure did. Uh, so
6: we sent it, we sent it uh, to the leaders of the Senate.
1: Oh, sorry. Sorry. My bad. Um, we sent it to McConnell and uh, Reid. All right. Tell me about the significance of this letter.
6: Well, you know, one of the things that uh, we're hearing a lot about around uh, the Capitol these days is that, uh, is that one of the sweeteners to pass uh, 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 the trade adjustment assistance would be attached it to the African Growth and Development Act uh, and uh, because uh, you know we know that in the house um, Republicans don't want trade adjustment assistance but in the, in, the, in, in, in the Senate Democrats who can block with cloture won't won't support it or likely won't support it without trade adjustment assistance and the way they're trying to get Trade Adjustment Assistance to move forward is is to uh, attach it to a GOA, and I think what they're trying to do thereby is try to uh, induce and entice uh, uh, members who have an affinity for African growth and development to uh, vote for this because uh, it will be uh, maybe killed without it unless people vote for it. So this is a very common congressional tactic to attach something that people, you know, have concerns about something that people really, really want. So it's kind of making a goa and trade adjustment assistance and using them as chips, bargain chips or sweeteners for uh, for trade trade promotion authority, which is uh, in front of the house this morning.
0: So there's a sense then, I mean, if they had the votes in the House for trade adjustment assistance, which, which Republicans need to get President Obama's trade package through through Congress, if they had the votes for TAA, they'd just put it up. But we know they have the votes for AGOA. That's already passed, both the House and the Senate. So there's a sense in which Republicans are taking an already approved bill and holding it hostage with something that is it, that currently does not have the votes to pass. Is that right?
6: Very succinctly put, yes. Okay. I think you've, you've, discre- you've captured it right.
0: So what else, is, what else is going on on the Hill? It seems like uh, things, things have been really crazy this week on, on the trade front.
6: Well, you know, uh, there's a whole lot at stake, right? I mean, uh, labor is all out because they've gone from about 35% of the U.S. Uh, labor market down to, you know, single digits or maybe slightly above that for public sector workers. And, you know, they feel that this trade deal is an existential threat to their livelihood and to workers generally. And again, a lot of riot, a lot of labor activists who are fighting TPA and TP and, and Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, pr- correctly identify the fact that this is really largely not a trade bill. I mean, it's not just a matter of lowering tariffs and stuff. They're they're trying to introduce a regulatory system that uh, favors you know huge multinationals. So this has been a topic of discussion. Nearly everywhere, you know, wherever you go and you engage, uh, re, you know, you know, uh, Republicans or administration people, it's uh, sort of, uh, sort of, you know, the topic of conversation. And so, um, yeah, it's it's the buzz. And I think the people who want to push it through uh, want to push it through without having a substantive discussion around issues that really matter, like uh, currency manipulation, like investor-state issues, like uh, food inspection and food safety and a range of other things they just want to use some uh, you know parliamentary maneuvering to try to uh, get what they uh, get what get what they want and, with, and, and they refuse to actually engage in substance. Conversation about
0: the content. It's been interesting to watch the the, the party leadership on this because you know, with the letter that you uh, you wrote last night, Karen Bass has emerged as a very influential member of, oh, of yeah. the CBC, for instance.
6: Yeah, she's uh, sort of our lead person on Africa.
0: Okay. Um, well i 'm curious because there was when you know last week when when Democrats voted down the, the broader trade agenda it seemed like for a lot of the week that that nancy Pelosi had been had been leading negotiations and then and then she she gave that floor speech where she said she said she was against it did did she move the caucus or did the caucus move Pelosi
6: you know it's impossible to know because we had been whipping but there, it was uh, there were so many un, undecideds that mm-hmm. we, we we were very we walked we didn't walk into that vote with, tons of confidence. There's no question that Nancy made a difference, uh, but exactly what the numerical number would be, I'm not sure, but I could tell you that um, she's highly regarded in, in her own caucus, and uh, that's about all I can say about it.
1: Well, let me ask uh, another big topic uh, this week, is perhaps potentially all month long, is uh, Obamacare and the case that's uh, we're waiting to hear a decision from the Supreme Court on uh, King v. Burwell, I believe it is. That's it. Uh, so I'm going to give you a chance now to come clean. When you guys wrote the law, did you uh, uh, intend <laughs> to not, uh, <laughs> to not uh, grant subsidies to, uh, to <laughs> states that use the federal exchange?
6: Go ahead. Okay, I'm gonna come truth. clean. I'm gonna come clean. You just want to tell come me the clean. truth? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Drum roll. <laughs> because you
1: tricked us all. If that's the case, right? I mean, everyone reported it the other way, right? So,
6: go ahead. You know, you want to come clean? And Did I, I catch you? I think that you know everybody has to fess up at some time. <laughs> so I will admit that we we intended to give subsidies to every
1: state. <laughs> oh man! Ah, you know, I really thought I had you there.
6: Yeah, man. Yeah, I, circ-
1: I was circling the waters.
6: Yeah, I was, I was starting was... to sweat a little bit. But, you know. <laughs> But I gotta tell you, <laughs> you get you sque- you squeeze the truth out of me, man. All right. You know, what what we did is what we intended to do, which is to give subsidies every. All
1: right. Well, you know, put my name in the street as far as squeezing the truth out of people. <laughs> yeah, uh,
6: help support that. Uh, but let
1: me add. I mean, if uh, it's really tough to gauge everyone's uh, like what's going to happen based on everyone's mood. Um, but if this law goes down because of this decision, what's the next step?
6: Well, I mean, I think there's going to be some interesting political ramifications for the people on the right, because one question I think is going to be relevant is, how are you going to explain to people who had health care that now they don't?
1: They kind of dined out on the prospect of people losing health care about a year and a half ago uh, during the great... uh, the great month of if you like your plane, you could keep it now it's now now the shoes nearing the other foot but you know we would <laughs> they've been talking for I don't know how many hundreds of days about an alternative to Obamacare yesterday uh, uh, it, it it came out that their best idea was block grants which is like yeah I remember the nineties too Nirvana they were awesome right grunge you know that, that was cool um, yeah. is there Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> yeah good. You know, but... yeah is no. is there is there a republican alternative to obamacare anywhere no. in the offing right now never no
6: so i mean I so. guess there, there's an alternative the alternative is uh status quo anti you know go back to you know 190 you know, i mean you go back to 19 you know 99 or you know that's another great musical thing <laughs> and then go back to or, you know 2005 to, you know go back to the days when you know, like huge portions of our country were in a healthcare nightmare. Because while they were a nightmare for many, they were awesomely profitable for others, right?
1: Yeah, that's true.
6: And and so that's what they want to go back to. They they, they, they don't have a problem with CEOs getting billions and billions of dollars and millions of people not having any coverage. They're all right with that. To me that's social Darwinism that they have for ever since, uh, you think
1: we even I go remember. back? We think you think we even go back to a time before the pre-existing conditions law, though.
6: You know what they say that they like that one, but I, I'm gonna tell you, man. You know, you get a few, uh, you know, you know, big companies saying that you know they don't like that and that's messing up their money. I think that they would abandon it. I mean, we're not talking about a principal debate here, right? <laughs> and so we're, what we're talking about is, you know you know, angling for the campaign donations and which billionaire wants what, you know. And it's sad. You know, we, we really, you know, I mean, there's a there's a very strong presence of plutocracy, you know, in and around this whole um, debate. And so in the way ser- certain political actors uh, move. So, well,
0: wait a minute. I uh, want to pin you down on something here because your reference to 1999, were you saying that Republicans want to party like it's 1999 on health care? Was that what you were saying?
6: I was alluding to that possibility, <laughs> okay. but for the very, very rich.
0: Well, Prince was in town this week. I don't know how expensive the concert was. <laughs> I uh, heard,
6: I heard, <laughs> I heard. I would have liked to have seen him. He's my hometown boy. You know, what I mean, I, you know, we're Minnesotans, right? That's right. That's
1: right. right.
0: What's your favorite Prince song? Gotta go with Purple
6: Rain. <laughs> right. Gotta go with that. Easy, easy. Record yeah, it. I know. I'm going for the easy, obvious. But no, no. Sometimes that's the best, right? He's got some
0: freaky stuff too. It's probably dangerous to be a politician and be like, you know, I like the like racy stuff in Little Red Corvette,
6: you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's even racier than that, you know, Darling Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah, true. <laughs> you know. That's true. But I mean, he's great. He's a great music. You know, he's he's trying to help uh, uh, young people who are from uh, poor backgrounds learn how to code, and he's always been an advocate of education and help. Helped out around Minnesota quite a bit. So, you know, he's all right in my book. He's not just some selfish superstar. He he shares it.
0: Even if he were a selfish superstar, he's a great musician, and I wouldn't care. Uh, well, Congressman, thanks so much for making time for us today. Anytime. Yeah, please.
1: we really appreciate it. Thanks a yeah. lot. Thank you. Hey, we're back. I'm here back with Zach Carter, I'm still here. Woohoo. We are joined by our esteemed colleague, Jessica Schulberg. Hey, guys. What's up, Jessica?
7: Not much. Good to be here. It's great
1: to have you. We wanted to talk about uh, the Islamic State. How are we going to beat ISIS? What's the story?
7: Definitely not with ground troops. Right. That's definitely not not what we're going to do.
1: So what's going on with the ground troops?
7: Well, what's going on is Obama sent 450 more advisors to Iraq to sort of train train. I'm quote, quote marks, guys. Yeah. Um, we
1: need to find a way to podcast like yeah. scare quotes. Yeah.
7: Uh, the soldiers over there. And there's this really interesting debate in Congress. As you probably know, they still haven't authorized this war, which is now in its 10th month of existence, um, because the president says that the 2001 AUMF that was passed after September 11th to fight the Taliban and Al-Qaeda can also be used to to justify this war. Pretty much everyone in Congress agrees that that's a little bullshit, but they can't seem to pass a new AUMF because most Republicans want all the troops on the ground to kill ISIS and most of the Democrats say, no, Iraq was such a clusterfuck. What are you guys doing? No troops on the
1: ground. That old AUMF is so flexible and is made of such high tensile material that why don't we just rebuild our infrastructure Mm -hmm. using the old AUMF? Right.
7: Right. I mean, I was talking to, I think it was Benjamin Wittes over at Lawfare in Brookings, and he was like, the Obama administration says they want to let go of the 2001 AUMF, but I think they realized they have this huge, monstrous behemoth of an AUMF. They didn't even realize, the Congress didn't even realize it was authorizing to such a large extent back in 2001, and like conceivably nobody's going to voluntarily give that up.
1: Yeah, why
7: would they?
0: You just never see the executive branch say, oh, no, you've given me this tool. Take back my power, power, please.
7: (laughs) (laughs) And even when the president sent down um, a suggestion for a new AUMF back in February, um, he wrote in the memo to Congress, like, here's my AUMF, you guys should debate it, you should mark it up, whatever, you should vote on it. Um, On a separate note, I would like eventually to get rid of the 2001 EMF, but not right now. And there's been no talk of it. It's just kind of there.
0: Well, politically, it's it's a boon for basically everybody in Congress, right? Because if you support—basically, you don't have to go on the record— for anything right. in, in the war if you don't vote for this stuff. So if right. it goes well, you can say, go America. I told right. you so. I support this war. If right. it goes badly, you can say, look, Obama. Obama
7: used his executive authority overreach to justify this war that Congress had no say in whatsoever. Yeah,
1: I'm old enough to remember when the Constitution said Congress was the sole authority about declaring war, but boy, we are way, <laughs> way past that. Just about. But so now there's been a, a new piece of legislation, right? Right. Targeting ground troops.
7: So Chris Murphy wanted to put an explicit ban. He's a senator. He wanted to put an explicit ban on ground troops um, and attach it to the defense authorization. They didn't end up voting on that. The, the, the managers of the defense authorization were trying to keep it pretty pretty straight and narrow on amendments because the, the authorization is already going to be pretty hard to pass. Um, So his amendment didn't really go anywhere, but it was really indicative of this effort, especially his point was sort of pegged to 2016. He's saying, you know, Obama said he doesn't want troops on the ground. He's doing this gradual um, buildup of advisory troops, um, but he's only in office for another year and a half. And if we keep this 2001 AUMF as the sole legal authority for this war— we might get Lindsey Graham in office, and we sure as hell know what Lindsey Graham's going to do with troops in All Iraq. the
1: ground troops, <laughs> right? All the ground troops. I'll probably have to go fight. Mm-hmm. Lindsey Graham's president. Uh,
0: that, oh, that has been—it's not just Lindsey Graham, right—who's mm-hmm. taken super hawkish positions in the 2016 uh, discussion. Like pretty much every Republican. Paul, you
7: know. yeah. Yeah, um, d- d- just
1: contemplating the Islamic State and what it takes to root them out. Mm-hmm. I mean, can it be done without ground troops, though?
7: So yesterday, the Defense Secretary, Ash Carter, and Martin Dempsey, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs He's Jesus the staff,
1: sexiest named Secretary of Defense we've ever had. Ash
7: Carter? Ash Carter. Yeah, but Chuck Hagel was actually the sexiest Secretary of Defense we've true ever that? had. True Like, true he that? was wearing these Warby Parkerish glasses before Warby Parker got cool. Yeah. And he just had this, like, brooding, like, don't fuck mm-hmm. with me Congress look when he was testifying.
0: I we mean, favorite people named Carter, frankly. Well, right. yeah. Here,
7: Zach Carter <laughs> yeah. from, um, wasn't he, like, a, a teeny bopper?
0: No, I think I'm think it was Zach Morris
7: from... Uh, Aaron Carter. Oh,
0: Aaron, Car- Aaron oh, actually, Carter. Actually, there is an Aaron and Zach Carter team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Like, if you told me there's a man named Ash Carter walking around, I'd be like, oh, the bass player from My Chemical Romance is here? Right. He sounds like an emo bass player, Ash mm. Carter. But, okay, talk about Ash Carter. Whoa,
7: I'm, I'm so distracted, Chuck Hagel. Um, <laughs> Ash Carter <laughs> came to the Hill yesterday and testified before the House Armed Services Committee um, for a hearing on our strategy in the Middle East, which okay. was basically lot- lots of congressmen saying, we don't have have a strategy. What do we do? And Ash Carter pretty much said, like, yeah, things things aren't going very well. Like, we thought we were going to have 24,000 Iraqis from the Iraqi military to train to fight ISIS. We have 7,000. Over in Syria, we have all the train-equip centers we need. Everything's like fully funded. We've built it. It's great. But it's really hard to get recruits. And even when we get recruits, it's going to be pretty hard to keep track of the weapons that we give them and make sure it doesn't go to ISIS. So you definitely heard this kind of undertone of them saying, like, we do need a bigger U.S. presence there. And they were pretty careful to say that we shouldn't just send American troops there to stiffen the backbones of the Iraqis and the Syrians. He said this needs to be an indigenous effort. Um, But I think he's basically saying that as it currently stands, there just aren't enough reliable recruits for for there to be any local ground force to defeat ISIS.
1: So there's... So, so we don't have a strategy. So we don't have a strategy. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, ISIS uh, in Iraq. Just is contemplate ISIS in Iraq. So, uh, where? What direction are they going? Do they want to become a secular government like the Baathists?
7: That's or do they legitimately the want
1: to become a r- religious conclave of death cultists?
7: Uh, the death cultists alternative seems seems more likely given given their previous. How sustainable
1: is that in Iraq?
7: Um, not sustainable at all. I mean, I can't imagine there would ever be the Islamic State ruling this caliphate across Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, the, the entire Levant that they claim um, to eventually want to take control over and have it be a peaceful rule. I think that as long as they're in existence, it'll be kind of, it's more a difference of whether they're on the offensive or the defensive. I don't think there'll ever be a state in which people accept them as the, the rightful ruler of the territory.
1: There'll either be sort of oppressed by them mm-hmm. or part of it or part of it uh in in syria they're completely still sheltering in the fact that the big nation's complete chaos internally. right
7: that you have essentially a state of anarchy and that these warring factions between assad and al Nusra and isis and it's pretty easy to take advantage of a totally chaotic situation on the ground in which there is no actual authority and at least in iraq even though the central government is weak and uh, kind of recovering from this pretty terribly sectarian government under Maliki, you do at least have somebody who's recognized as the rightful ruler of Iraq who gets support from the outside. Whereas in Syria, you have Assad, who everyone says, like, isn't really the ruler, but nobody really wants to step in and do anything. And so the U.S. won't oust him, but they also won't really recognize his legitimacy. And it's just, it's kind of a no man's land at this point. So there's nothing going on? Sounds
1: fucking terrible.
7: Yeah. <laughs> <Sounds> terrible.
1: <coughs> uh, any good news at all?
7: Um, well, yesterday, Akbar wrote that Qatar and the UAE had agreed to stop kind of escalating this proxy war inside of Libya. So Libya might be a little less.
1: Oh, Akbar chaotic. Ahmed, you rem- <laughs> you'll remember him. He was on uh, the podcast a few weeks ago with Ali Watkins discussing uh, Seymour Hirsch. He is a Huffington Post reporter. And yeah, that was a big scoop yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why are, uh, why are those two nations fighting a proxy war?
7: Uh, you should get Akbar on the show for this. Yeah, you're right. But the the gist of it is that Qatar and Turkey sort of support this more political Islam ideology. They support Hamas. They support groups like Hezbollah. um, And they're supporting one side of the civil war in Libya that is more Islamist. And then on the other side, you have the UAE, which views any type of political Islam as this huge threat, to al-Qaeda. And so they sort of are more of the Egypt-style secular dictatorship and they're sort of propping up the other side in Libya and there's this constant flow of arms and outside support which is sort of meaning that the ongoing conflict in Libya can't really ever reach an end.
0: How did Libya get all fucked up?
7: Oh gosh, what was it? It seemed like there's this Someone, someone bombed someone and. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Uh, right. The, the Going in, the, the, the Libyan intervention has to rate as one of the Obama administration's bigger foreign policy fuck ups at this point, right?
7: Obama administration and Secretary Clinton, too, I think is, should be having something to answer for that during her campaign. I mean, that was almost the epitome of the strategy that we said we were divorced from, which is go in, blow things up, and leave. Right. And I think it was a reaction to this whole idea that nation building, which sort of became coined under President Bush, um, became such a dirty word because we we didn't build shit in Iraq. Everything
5: Fall fell apart. to pieces.
7: Yeah. Um, and so while I think that we should learn the, uh, the difficulties of na- nation building, I think it went to this extreme where it said, well, it's not going to work, so we're just going to wipe out your bad guy and hope that you guys can pick up the pieces.
1: That was an actually interesting period of time for me uh, because for a brief crazy moment, it looked as if Congress might rediscover and remember the fact that they're actually in charge yeah. of uh, declaring war. Uh, you
0: had things. Michelle Bachman, all, all of these right. Republicans suddenly talking about constitutional checks and balances. Right. Like it
1: was interesting. It was interesting. Didn't, didn't go anywhere. It,
7: there was a similar debate when um, Obama wanted to strike Syria for the chemical weapons in yep. uh, 2012, the next year. Um, so yeah, this this. <laughs>
1: that was when Obama. That was when Obama remembered. Hey, aren't you guys supposed to make these decisions? <laughs> hey, you guys take the blame for whatever <laughs> hell is
7: unleashed from this move. Right. So
1: I guess what we've learned is, hundreds of years into our nation's founding, uh, we don't know how to do foreign policy anymore. Basically, Wait, did we used to? <laughs> I'm Louisiana <laughs> Purchase seems like it was pretty good. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's good so man. that's it. Yeah. We peaked with the Louisiana Purchase. Hold <laughs> <All> on. <down, help laughs> tiny American <laughs> flags to everybody. Okay, Jessica, thanks for joining us.
6: Thank
7: you. Bye guys.
1: You can follow Zach Carter at Zach D Carter. That's Z-A-C-H-D-C-A-R-T-E-R. And you can follow Jessica Schulberg at Jessica Schulb. Just stop before you get to the E-R-G. No ergs. In that one. No rowing machines. Yeah, exactly. It's such a low-energy Twitter handle because there's no ergs. Uh, and you can follow me at deceiver D-C-E-I-V-E-R. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta and Adriana Usero. This podcast was sponsored by Casper Mattresses. We thank them for their generosity and encourage you to check out their products at Casper.com. I'm Jason Lincolns, and this week we were joined by Senator Bernie Sanders, Congressman Keith Ellison, and HuffPost reporters Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Jessica Scholberg. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Please check us out on the iTunes Store for the Huffington Post whole family of podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, Send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, thanks for listening, and we miss you already.
5: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor Yahoo Finance.